Hello, this is the Ukraine Crisis Podcast from International SOS. I'm Paul Osborne. Today, lessons from the first three months. Regardless of the crises, life safety and your workforce will always be primary among your crisis management concerns. We'll learn more about the continuing challenges helping those caught up in the fighting in Ukraine and what's likely to happen next. It's a little over three months since the crisis in Ukraine erupted into fighting across large parts of the country. Russia's military offensive is now largely isolated in the east and south. But does that mean the rest of Ukraine is safe? It's the kind of question occupying Mick Sharp, Group Director of Security at International SOS. When I last spoke to him, he called this the largest scale, most complex crisis in the organization's history. So, three months on, is that still his view? It is the case, and there's there's many reasons why. Uh, We've obviously had some major ones in the past, such as the Arab Spring, but in terms of of a pure security crisis, the nature of the conflict, particularly around the Russian-NATO dimension and the potential for a larger escalation spiral, has always hung over the crisis. So in terms of assessing this, it's, it's easy to look in the rearview mirror. But as it's played out and still to date, it remains a significant dimension and making this a very complex crisis. In terms of the nature of the Russian offensive, clearly there was an intelligence failure in the early phase from the Russian perspective, particularly around the political posture of Ukraine which made assessing the situation, staying on top of what was happening as it unfolded, particularly complex. And from an evacuation perspective, you had airspace closures with the onset of conflict or just prior, making it quite complex on the one hand, having um, land moves with an evolving conflict zone, but equally an unusual situation where we had a number of stable safe havens, very unusual in a security crisis, with permissive border context for local nationals, which made evacuating local nationals both feasible, but also uh, complex given the uh, scale of that challenge. And finally, I'd say on the information side, we're always dealing with incomplete information in a crisis by definition, but the level of politicization and disinformation in this crisis, along with the sort of saturation social media dimension in the current age, took this to a new level in the the current crisis. Let's just begin with that changing nature of the crisis, as you say at the beginning, that huge humanitarian crisis, people fleeing the country and escaping through the borders to the West. Now, of course, the fighting is concentrated in one part of Ukraine. The nature of the support you have needed to provide over that time must have kept changing. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you can divide it into three clear phases. The first pre-conflict was all about the assessment organizations requiring advice around their decision making in terms of their operations in country, the foreign nationals, and also how they should support their local nationals. But the ultimate question being, you know, will conflict occur and how will it manifest itself? So in that advice space, for our clients in that phase one, certainly, uh, as you went to evacuation notification 12 days before the conflict, those who hadn't left um, took that option when it was still feasible to do so by commercial means and, and by air. The second phase was the acute phase requiring, uh, once conflict commenced, significant number of security evacuations. For international SOS, this meant 47 quite complex ground moves. In terms of scale, the level of advice in assisting those clients more broadly, we had over 1,500 security inquiries and cases we supported of organisations and equally around 400 medical. And then the third phase 
which is the ongoing phase where we continue to conduct regular medical evacuations, both related to the conflict and also general medical issues, but still have a level of complexity given the current security situation. Now that the conflict is largely but not entirely concentrated in the east of Ukraine, has that relaxed the concerns that some people have about, say, sending people back into Kiev or the areas around the capital? This is an excellent question. And over the period of the last three months, the central and western Ukraine has been seen increasingly as a de facto safe haven to the point, as you highlight, that many organizations and, and governments and diplomatic representation is looking at the return, if not returned, to parts of Ukraine. That doesn't mean, of course, that the, the risk is reduced to zero in this equation. And if you look at Russia's current um, minimum objectives in this crisis, certainly around Donetsk and Luhansk, this is still playing out. And Russia's options, if this is disrupted or if the increasing support from the West or the Ukrainian military posture uh, continues, Russia's options to try and, um, again, secure that mi minimum objective is very much limited to within NATO, uh, within outside of the NATO borders, so certainly central western Ukraine. We've seen most recently strikes on uh, Kharkiv again. Uh, in the past, we've seen strikes near Lviv, and certainly from a supply perspective within this these locations, uh, it remains quite a, a quite a significant risk uh, as things play out in the east. Of course, Russia has a few other options around asymmetric warfare like cyber attacks outside the region and within NATO, but certainly in terms of hard military options, central and western Ukraine remains still at risk due to the, um, uh, again, these narrow Russian options. Now, you talked a moment ago about the enormous amount of disinformation that surrounded this crisis, particularly in those early days before the initial Russian invasions. As an organization that is constantly being asked to give advice to people, to assist people who are potentially in very dangerous situations, presumably being able to filter out that disinformation, to know that the information you're relying on is accurate, is absolutely paramount. How have you been able to go about that? Volume of information is rarely an issue, although obviously there can be plenty of gaps at the tactical level in terms of the information we receive. But as you allude to, the challenges in the information space very much in two areas and certainly came to the fore in Ukraine. One is around validation. And certainly as the conflict unfolded, the requirement to validate information at speed, tactical nature, discerning, example, impact zones of, of the actual conflict, how things are unfolding, the status of routes, that validation remained, remained key and obviously supported both organizational decision-making but our own on-the-ground support from an operational perspective. The second aspect is really the objectivity, as you allude to, this is a crisis that uh, remains highly politicized. And certainly disinformation on all sides remains a, a dimension of the information we receive. And so this comes down to our, the skills of our analysts and what they are paid to do to assess all source information and validate that um, by, by cross-sourcing, et cetera. And uh, the team have managed to do that very well. It's obviously very hard to predict the future, particularly in a situation like this. But when you look ahead, try to work out where you might be needing to offer support down the line, what do you see as the most likely course of events in Ukraine? The most likely course of events from our perspective re relates to Russia pushing home what it perceives as its unconditional priorities and minimum objectives in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk. 
Currently, even according to Ukrainian officials, Russia controls now around 95% of Luhansk and around 60% of Donetsk, and uh, they're certainly advancing. That's changed even in the past week uh, to a significant degree. So we see that playing out in the east. And as I mentioned, depending on how it plays out and, and how Russia moves, there are some possibility of, of strikes in central western Ukraine. So supporting clients, again, understanding that risk, likely locations, areas of greatest exposure, how to mitigate those is a key area of our support. The local nationals who stayed with organizations more broadly, many still working for organizations, many going back, families reuniting, and we're assisting again with information and, and on-the-ground support uh, in that regard. You talked a moment ago about this this crisis being in clear phases. What would you say were the key takeaways so far, both for you and for companies who might themselves be exposed to these kind of risks now and, and in future crises down the track? Yeah, I think it's it's important to note that while there are aspects of this crisis that were unique, in broad terms, it certainly reinforced the basic principles of risk management and crisis management, um, despite the fact that, you know, the, of the scale and, and, and particular nature of the crisis. And the first thing is around having reliable intelligence and analysis to inform decision making, and certainly as much as possible from a forecasting perspective to ensure that those decisions for an organization's and ultimately for life safety, supporting your workforce is done well ahead of time. The second aspect is ensuring that crisis management structures and escalation protocols in organizations are uh, mature, in place, as simple as possible, with clear roles and responsibilities and ownership in organizations. And ultimately, looking at crises from a holistic perspective for an organization, noting that regardless of the crises, Life safety and your workforce will always be primary among your crisis management concerns. So it's a key element. And then finally, having avenues of recourse, as we saw in Ukraine, despite the best intelligence, there may be a need to assist directly on the ground to provide more support from a medical and security perspective, up to including evacuations. Mick Sharp, Group Director of Security at International SOS. Well, as the crisis in Ukraine continues, clients can access the latest information and advice from a special microsite. You can find it by heading to site.internationalsos.com slash Ukraine crisis. And from our website, you can also find out how to get in touch with us via our global network of assistance centres available to clients 24-7. For now, though, thanks for listening. And until next time, Goodbye.